Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. This week we're going to talk about the worst and worst of 2020. <laughs> uh, or the worst and worst, I don't know, whatever. But basically we're going to discuss the biggest cultural trends of 2020 and how they impacted us and how we feel about it. So let's start off with the obvious trend. It feels like you can't talk about COVID without it sounding cliched, but like COVID has definitely been the theme of the year. It's been the year of coronavirus. Um, what do you think is the biggest way in which our lives have been impacted by COVID or the year has been impacted by COVID? This is Shishti, your host, by the way. Hi, this is Aditi. And uh, if you talk about COVID, it just reminds me of that Mean Girls meme. Uh, raise your hands if you've been personally victimized by COVID-19. <laughs> and then everybody just raises their hands. Of course, you can't not talk about COVID because it's impacted practically everything from the economy to our health to uh, whether we get to have friends. Yeah, I agree. This is Carla. Uh, sorry, I have a cold. Excuse my voice. Um, I think one thing that was really weird and definitely a trend across everybody that I spoke to is that this year we lost the ability to plan for the future and to think about the future. And I think that was one of the most sort of dispiriting and upsetting things. I think, you know, as humans, we, we, we just get so much fulfillment and love and excitement about planning for the future and thinking about the things we will do and the people we will see and the things we'll experience. And this year we just had to stop doing all of that and stop dreaming of the future. And we had to just take it day by day by force. And I think that was a really difficult thing to do yeah definitely I think the inability to plan for the future was the biggest thing that like shocked us and probably led to collective existential crisis but I think another thing that COVID really highlighted was inequality and one big question which I think I kept thinking about was do you think that it's made us more aware of and critical of structural inequalities or has it set us back to like to such an extent that there's no going back from here, you know? It, I, I think it's put us in a position where it became so stark, again, that we couldn't look away from it. And it's, uh, I don't know, um, I mean, I'm not qualified enough to say if we can bounce back from this or not. But like, uh, from at least from a social perspective, you could see who the pandemic was hurting the most, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was obviously a defining feature. And I think one of the very sort of emotional um you know, in the emotional like peaks and valleys that we experience these these moments where we were sort of staring straight in the face of all this inequality, those were really dark and those were difficult. Um, I think, you know, like the migrant worker crisis. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like not only personally, but among everybody I know that people gained so much more awareness about what the migrant economy actually is, how it functions, why it's not as simple as, oh, they can just stay where they are for the next few months and see what happens, right? And and all the things that, you know, all the ways that the Indian economy is based on that labor, while those people remain relatively um, sort of undocumented and not cared for um, in the formal labor system. So I think that was eye-opening. But I'm a little cynical and I have sort of a cynical view on human nature. And I just wonder when this all changes, like when we get a vaccine, when, you know, when the pandemic is over, um, will it have made any difference? 
Like, will people change their behavior? Will the relatively privileged who got to sit in their relatively comfortable apartments with their Wi-Fi and do their, you know, uh, sort of white collar, you know, jobs from uh, from home on their laptops, are those people going to change the way that they engage with the world? I would say no. I agree, actually. I don't think the people who are sitting at home are thinking of anything more than like, when can I go and party again? I think that's pretty much, that's all that's on their minds right now. I feel really bad about it, but I think that's the bitter truth of it. But I, I mean, I feel really bad about admitting this, but I too am one of those people. I hope I'm somebody that does both things, you know, that thinks about some of the inequality we've learned about more deeply after the fact, but also I cannot wait to go party after this. I mean, let's be honest, right? We've been through a lot. And Part of that is also just like, we need some sort of a release. We need some sort of change. We need something to shift. And I'm finding myself yearning for and missing some of the most silly things, right? Like I, like I wanna go shopping or I wanna like go to a bar or I wanna, I mean, these are such stupid things, right? But you realize how much you miss some of those like mundane experiences. They're totally meaningless. But I wonder how it'll impact people collectively or like, will it make you know, the tendency to protest stronger, or even like we'd spoken to Rajiv Khandilwal from Ajivika, who work with migrant workers' rights. And, you know, this was the first time, you, you know, th th we were seeing protests in Rajasthan, in Gujarat, and actually demanding that they be paid um, even when they're not working, you know. So I'm wondering when it comes to like agitation and collective demands, will it be able able to strengthen that I agree that maybe those of us who you know um, work from home and have the luxury to do that or who who benefit to a huge extent from that exploitative labor don't have a lot of in incentive to change or won't change especially because we're also affected in different ways but I wonder if it would make like the tendency to resist or the tendency to protest collectively stronger and I think that's been another big um theme of 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 the year at least for us and the and the way that we've been looking at things in india yeah but let's not forget trishti i mean the year started out kind of with a bang with you know a flurry of i i don't want to use the word excitement what's the right word solidarity right with nrccaa and we we were so excited to be able to cover some of those you know pockets of resistance and to to sort of be able to document that in some way um, but it's kind of ended on a little bit of an ugly note. Like if we're talking about the way the year wraps up, I would not say that people feel more inspired necessarily to raise their voices. I think if anything, we close the year with people feeling more scared because the consequences have become much more real. So again, my cynical side is coming out, but I don't know that, I don't know that we, I mean, we saw the power of protest. We saw some of the beauty in dissent. We saw all of these things, but we also saw that in some places and it's in sometimes it can have very real devastating consequences. You know, I'm a little less cynical about that because of the way uh, the NRCCA protest played out at the beginning of the year. Like the, the protests were so widespread and they were so... Uh, intense and they and they were on everybody's social media to a such an an intense extent that uh, it almost reminded me of the way uh, BLM played out in the US for the very first time right because like that too was on everybody's social media everybody was held accountable everybody wanted to try to be a better ally and this was sort of similar in which a lot of people who 
probably uh, didn't even know who the members of parliament are or who the president or the prime minister was uh, they started showing up and they started going to these protests because like it was very clear like there's injustice happening and that's that and that shouldn't be happening in this country and uh, that was clear, clear to a lot of people and i think if it weren't for the pandemic a lot of the same people would have showed up for the farmers protests too i have i think a lot more than maybe the last time during the long march just because of the way um, i think nrcca was a turning point for indian protest for sure yeah i think i i do see the cynicism also though because i wonder and i think the one thing that coming back home and interacting with a completely different set of people around me has also made me think of like was it just within your bubble that people had that kind of perception and outside of it you know people have negative perceptions they support the caa nrc law they're just not being vocal about it because you can't protest against a protest but you can silently say yes and be like why are they making such a big deal out of it and i think um i saw a few tweets by people which really stayed with me also in terms of looking at the nrcca protest versus the farmers protest that how the government actually came to the table and they negotiated with them and they are trying to negotiate i mean whatever their version of that is but with nrcca that never happened you know you never you never once try to clarify that this is what the laws were about or like this so it also shows whose voice will matter when people dissent you know and with the anti love jihad laws or whatever this made up phenomenon of love jihad it just feels like we're going more and more in that direction and there's like i don't know lesser and lesser ways to like deal with it um uh, but uh, shishti another thing that i thought uh, sort of uh, took over people's uh, thoughts in this year was uh, the idea of working through a pandemic so i was sort of wondering how work changed this and how people's perspectives towards work changed this year i think remember we did we did this um this campaign on sort of a work from home right examining different people with different types of jobs and what their pandemic era work lives were like and i mean i think we it goes back to this whole notion of inequality and and privilege in a crisis right and i think the the biggest trends we saw were that there are people who just didn't have a choice about whether they carried on with their normal jobs or not and there were people who had a choice to adapt and that was i mean it was literally like the stark line and it was a very much a haves and have nots kind of line um people who had a financial cushion to fall back on who had you know family they could move in with there's a whole separate conversation going there about like what does it mean to adapt your work to this kind of a uh, an environment um i think by the way we as a team did incredibly well right but we all had the privilege of of comfortable homes of good wifi of you know quality laptops of connectivity of all of that and we made the most of it but again here i mean it's it's just my personal hunch i think a lot of people are talking about how the future of work will change we'll never go back to being in offices all the time work will become more flexible i think you've already seen 
a lot of commentators talk about how the pendulum is actually swinging back. And after this many months of, you know, full on remote work, people are saying that actually, you know, there are some benefits to in-person work and teams collaborating in the same room. And maybe it's not so great to all be sitting at home by ourselves, right? And maybe having that human connection is important. So I would actually say, just like everything else, the moment we get that vaccine, my prediction would be that people bounce back almost completely to normal. Although we have to admit the fact and face the fact that like economies all over the world are gutted. There are entire industries that are gonna take years to restabilize. And that's a sad fact of the pause button that we basically put on the economy, the global economy for like a year. The only thing I could think of, I think, when I thought about work uh, or going back to work is that uh, uh, I wonder how many people have completely forgotten what it's like to be late to work. Because I don't think you could be, because you could just wake up and then immediately just click a button and you're at work. But <laughs> now, <laughs> I guess uh, that particular uh, bittersweet experience is going to come back. But yeah, I agree. I think it's also been a terrifying year to be an entrepreneur in any particular way. Uh, I think you could see that in the restaurant business, in the hotel management business also, because a lot of them had to shut down. And uh, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I was reading a lot of profiles of uh, businesses that just started and had to immediately close shop and just turn into like a cloud kitchen in a way. And Perhaps that's really scary, right? Because you put a lot of your money into one particular business and then you just have to shut it down for an entire year and you're like destitute. Well, what about the, I mean, the fashion industry, fashion is really, really struggling right now, right? And if you think about the fashion industry, it's like almost entirely based on like us having shit to do and places to go, right? Because if you don't have those, what is the point of buying clothes? And so, I mean, I know all of us probably, if we didn't already have a giant stack of sweatpants, made an investment in one or two extra pairs during these 10 months. But really, you know, you, the, that industry, even the, the influencer sort of economy, these are all pockets of our global economy that were based on setting these aspirational lifestyles for people, right? And, and travel and movement and dressing for different occasions or going to different places, meeting different people. And our lives have been so monotonous that any industry that relied on that is gonna have a hard time. But, but I do appreciate influencers trying to set an aspirational quarantine life, uh, lifestyle in the beginning of lockdown though, the whole- The sourdough, the sourdough bread. <laughs> Uh, then the working out and the gratitude journals, everything. So like, thank you for that, for like one month's worth of content. That was great. And then we all gave up after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember when Dalgona, what was it called? Dalgona coffee? Yeah. Remember when that was a thing? I made it once. I actually made it once. It was fucking delicious. <laughs> it tasted just like filter co coffee. But more foamy more for me yeah more for me I think as we were mentioning Dalgona coffee and influencer trends they definitely made me think about beauty and maybe the only place where where hopefully we won't return back to where we came from is maybe beauty trends because I think that was actually I'm going to give a controversial take here which is that I think the biggest change was with beauty trends because that's the only thing which like 
significantly changed in everybody's lifestyles because you didn't have a choice anymore or you didn't care anymore. Shrishti, you are too optimistic and too positive. Haven't you heard all of the plastic surgeons say that their requests for Botox have gone 10x? Okay, because everybody's staring at themselves in the Zoom screen all day and they don't like the way they look. So they're actually getting far more interest in plastic surgery, but especially the Botox and the fillers because people want like a little pick me up. Yeah, I think beauty standards still remain, but uh, at least with respect to putting forth an appearance, I think I'd spoken about this particular trend in our beauty standards uh, under lockdown podcast too. But uh, before the pandemic started curiously, a lot of people were segueing into sort of taking photos of themselves and appearing homely but attractive at home, weirdly. Like they weren't leaving their houses, they were influencing from inside the house. So they were just pretty in a very relaxed way at home. So that's become its own beauty standard right now. I felt so bad about my sweatpant collection early on in the pandemic, right? Like there was this whole like, you know, it's like that pressure to like look good while you're sitting at home on your couch. And I suddenly looked at my ratty t-shirts that I've had since eighth grade. And I was like, well, this is clearly not cutting it. I mean, so I think Shristi that it just got reinterpreted, right? Like the beauty standards are still there. They're just different. Like now it's, can you look as chic and flawless and like, you know, porcelain skinned as possible in, you know, in, in your, whatever it is. But I think one good thing that came out of this with respect to beauty standards is that a lot of people are okay with the fact that they've gained a bunch of weight and that's fine and that's not a big deal at all like it's fine like I think at the beginning uh, a lot of people were talking about like the quarantine 15 and there was a lot of like disparaging going on about about that but like I think a few months in nobody cares like it's, it's just a, a few extra pounds it's that's literally it and it's nothing more uh speaking of what we're okay with and not okay with I'm not sure if that was a super smooth segue or not but mental health and how much we don't accept that till today in India, for me, it it was honestly shocking the kind of reaction that people had to the death of Sushant Singh Rajput and the refusal to acknowledge that mental illness is real and it can be debilitating. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we sort of forgot as that like tragedy, the the tragedy of his death and then the tragedy of the frenzy that followed it. One of the things we forget is that it started with that weird Bollywood nepotism allegation and <clears throat> that that whole narrative that Bollywood killed him, that like the Bollywood A-listers killed him and that, that it was a murder. Um, and that that occupied all the airwaves and you know everybody's attention for about a month. And that I thought was such a weird moment because it was clearly there was like this sort of right-wing political agenda to sort of paint, you know, a, a, a liberal uh, A-list Bollywood, you know, insider crew as, you know, as harmful in some way, right? But then there was also these like hyper-progressive people on social media who sort of use this notion of institutional murder, which is something that people have been talking about in terms of all the various intersections that can, you know, that, that can come together to cause people to um to consider suicide um but those two things kind of met weirdly and so the whole narrative turned into this thing around murder when it was just 
clearly a you know a person struggling with mental health and as as you say um Shristi, like nobody was willing to talk about it for what it was which was just such a strange it was such a strange obfuscation it was like virtually nobody wanted to talk about what it really was probably the worst part of the uh, conversation around ssr's death was uh, the scapegoating and uh, the ofria chakraborty one of his ex girlfriends and how she was vilified and treated so badly by the media and the country at large and even uh, the state in a way it was like every single sexist trope you can think of about women throughout like it, the entirety of human history got hurled and focused on one woman like all at once I mean the you know she's manipulative she's a witch she bewitched somebody she put a spell on them she stole all their money all she's out for is money she does drugs she dresses this way she's friends with these people I mean it was literally like <clears throat> any possible thing you could think of it was incredibly um disturbing and I it, it was probably like I, I don't know about you guys but for me it was like a very scary moment because I saw uh how much many many parts of india really don't accept uh women who are like us i'll say and when i say like us i mean women who have jobs that they want to have who dress the way they want who go out with whoever they want who date whoever they want you know who sort of make their own decisions and are autonomous and people did not like ria for that and plus a lot of people had their motive also put together right they also had that one particular thing that she did that made her the worst possible person which is smoking cannabis or and not she didn't even actually smoke cannabis but just the idea of her smoking cannabis sort of turned people so against her so against her that uh, I, i remember seeing a lot of our comments saying uh she's wrong because she did drugs she's wrong because she did drugs drugs is against the law how can you defend somebody who does this and uh, it was it was shocking that uh, something as uh, like benign as say marijuana to like whether or not we smoke it something as benign as marijuana would turn people against one woman so extremely Yeah, I think this year was definitely the year when you realize that we'd all rather watch the news and read stories that, you know, reconfirm our inherently sexist, casteist, racist biases than actually criticize and engage with the world falling apart around us. I also think we really faced the power of media. I mean, what's fascinating to me about both these stories both the sushant singh story and the the sort of subsequent riya chakraborty story is that while they were going on it felt as if nothing else existed i mean it was so all encompassing we were drowning in it it was all around us it was in the air we breathed i mean you could not get away from these stories and i remember i mean i remember feeling so deeply like emotionally invested in these stories what happens when the stories have run their course in terms of you know getting clicks or getting attention or you know riling people up 
they just died. I mean, it feels like it was a different era, right? It feels like it was a completely different time. It just shows you how powerful in terms of, you know, shaping our worldviews, our narratives, the, the way we feel about what's happening around us, what you see in the news, what you're reading all the time, what you're seeing on social media, it makes a huge, huge difference. And it impacts your mental and emotional health. It changes your worldview completely. So for me, that was also a huge kind of lesson that came out of uh, you know, both of those things is like how much we are impacted by what we're reading. I think that also makes the case for uh, like the importance of independent media and the importance of good journalism in this country, considering uh, that uh, the SSR uh, case and and uh, Rhea's plight was covered more like a reality TV show than actually news. I think uh, fact. And the fact that that sort of uh, addled people's minds so much that they sincerely thought like what was being played out on the news was correct. I think it it uh, makes it a hundred times more important for like uh, young journalists to sort of take their path seriously and err uh, uh, to the side of facts rather than like drama. I think that um, Aditya managed to take the super bleak discussion in a very positive direction. And on that note, is is there anything positive that we're thinking of and then taking forward into the next year to get over the worst and worst of 2020? We have a vaccine now. We have uh, with we have a vac we have a bunch of vaccines within sight now. So that's great. I guess. So I'm hoping 2021 is a lot less bleaker than 2020 was. And uh, I got myself a planner because I'm excited to think about the future for once in my life, because it's not something I've ever done before. But like the prospect of it sounds so incredible to my head right now that uh, it's all I want to do towards the end of the year. Just think about the future. I also think... Um... We like we as a team really took care of each other. Um, I think we were like good to each other. We supported each other. We did great work, and I think that's really important. I think when we do come out of this, we'll be like so much stronger because of that. And I feel the same way about my personal relationships, my family, and my friendships as well. That the the people who really held together and helped each other and supported each other through this, our relationships will be um, much stronger as a result of it. I think that's a super positive thing. I have a very lame positive thing, but I was literally thinking about how now every person in the world has at least one thing that you have to talk about. So there's like a new pickup line that hopefully people can use at bars in 2021, which is like, how was last year for you? How tragic was the last year for you? <laughs> so I really think I'm very excited to see how people are going to bond over this tragedy that we've been through and are we going to see like new kind of romance and like new kind of I don't know intimacies and relationships around this horrible experience my guess is yes I don't know yeah I think people are gonna go crazy next year I really do I think it's gonna be super fun and you know we'll hopefully we'll appreciate the little things right the like going to a coffee shop and getting a coffee and just like sitting down and chatting with a friend for half an hour I don't know, like these these small, small things that were woven into our everyday lives that we just took so for granted before. Um, I think hopefully we'll treasure them more. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I feel like um, Aditi buying a planner is such a sweet and hopeful thing to do right now. Uh, I'm going to take a cue from that as well. 
on that note maybe everyone can buy themselves planners and hope for a new more beautiful 2021 where we bond over tragedies